today I have an announcement that uh, at our new church facility, we now have running water inside the church. But there's not really an inside the church yet, but there's a foundation and there's a, a, a water line sticking out of it and it has pressure to it. So uh, we are making progress on our new church building and um, we now have water in it thanks to uh, a few fellas who spent most of the day yesterday in the hot sun um, digging out some lines and, and burying them. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we're still working on a lot of things, so I don't know if you've seen our, our uh, timeline of the amount of funds it's going to take, but uh, we're doing pretty good on our building process, and we're going to keep pushing through doing the Lord's will by um, growing His kingdom. Um, the next thing I need to tell you today is that I'm going to need all of you guys to pray this coming week. And I need you to pray for 10 men, 10 men specifically. And I'm going to throw the names out here. And men, if you're here, you can give me one of these. So Larry and Randy and Danny, you guys are our elders that are going to Wyoming on our hiking trip. As Owen said, this uh, week is the hiking trip that we are going to uh, travel to. Um, Larry, Randy, and Danny are on that trip. Um, Be praying for Noah and Levi. Uh, These two young fellows are going with us. And also my brother-in-law Matthew, uh, Colton, and Eric Spaulding. He's the manager of Hidden Haven Christian Camp. He is going with us. Dan Hardy um, from Yates Center. And uh, myself, 10 men. Uh, Ben, thank you for preaching for me next week um, because we won't be back in time uh, for that. 10 men, 32 hours on the road, 88 hours in the wilderness. That's 120 total hours together as men to be inspired by God. I need you guys to pray that we are in fact inspired by God. Whether it be on the side of the road working on the van or in the wilderness running from a bear or sitting around a campfire. Pray that we be inspired. That's the point of this trip. That God will come to us, to our very souls, and set a fire in us that we will bring back to our families, to our communities. Now, you know, some people are easily inspired. Some people, it doesn't take much to become inspired. Uh, Others, well, they need to go a little ways off the beaten path for them to be inspired. Now, for me personally, for me, I never really know when or where God is going to catch hold of my attention and motivate me to do something. There are some weeks when I pray, I read scripture, and and I can't figure out what to preach about. I mean, I could get up here and talk about anything, But if God doesn't catch hold of me somehow, then I'm going to be boring. And that's not cool for you, and it's not cool for me. 
thankfully, God has a whole lot of ways to inspire us. And one of the ways is through his word. So uh, this past week, I was reading from 2 Samuel chapter 23, and this part of 2 Samuel is a place that I often go for inspiration before a men on fire event. It's one of my favorites. It's about David's mighty warriors, about serious men who are battle-proven. The warrior king, David, has chosen these men, and these are his mightiest. It starts in chapter 23 with verse 8, talking about a fella named Jashobim, the Hakamite. And this fellow was recorded to have slain 800 men in one battle with his spear. The next man is Eleazar. This fellow fought so hard that at some point he couldn't even lift his sword anymore. But the Lord still gave him victory. The third fellow, Shema, son of Agi, He was such a fierce fighter that he took on 300 in one battle. 300. And then there is Abishi. And then there is another one. The the fifth one that Scripture records is my favorite one this week. His name is Benaiah. So as I'm reading through this scripture, to get inspiration for Men on Fire, reading about the hardest core uh, warriors of God that can be read about in scripture, David's mighty men, I come to verse 20 of chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, and it says, There was also Benaiah, son of Jehodia, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. And I feel like, yeah, this guy is serious. And then I read the rest of the verse because I'm on a roll. And it says, another time on a snowy day, he chased the lion down into a pit and killed it. What? Because I lost my train of thought just a little bit. It's talking about some serious men fighting battles against warriors in the war with evil men. And there's a battle going on and and they're defeating 800 warriors and, and, and 300 enemy warriors and fighting so long with a sword that they just can't lift it up anymore. And all of a sudden, on a snowy day, this warrior chased down a lion into a pit and he killed it. Where, where does this come from? What is this doing here? I mean, David's best men here. And then Benaiah is mentioned chasing down a lion. And that right there is pretty much what it takes to inspire me. Something odd in the middle of Scripture that a warrior does that's not normally recorded that a a warrior does. Chasing down a lion. Well, why is the lion a big deal? I asked myself. 
why is it recorded in here that he did this? Well, evidently it was a big deal because these animals, lions, are the toughest of tough. David's men are the toughest of tough. And yet David records this. So it's not an embarrassing thing. It's something that adds to their heroism. Is that a word? Heroism? Heroism? Heroism. There we go. Sorry about that. So it doesn't take away from that. It evidently adds to it because it's put in here. Not only did David see that it was important to record that Benaiah chased down a lion, but God saw the need to make sure that it is in his inspired word. We believe that the scripture is inspired. Everything in it has been inspired by God. And here it is right here in this text that Benaiah chased down a lion into a pit and killed it. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 30, says the lion, king of animals, won't turn aside for anything. For anything. It won't turn aside. But somehow, Benaiah has got one on the run. Somehow, He's going after it. It has turned at least long enough to chase it into a pit. Here's basically what happened. If we could put this in American terms, like we probably have never contended with lions and we don't hear much about lions, but if we put it in American terms, uh, we know about bears, at least those of us who are going to Wyoming this coming week have been dreaming about bears for the past couple of months. Um, so let's put ourselves up against a bear. And we're not talking about a black bear. Supposedly you can get big and scare off a black bear uh, to where the black bear, black bear will turn and go. But a grizzly bear is a different story. You don't try to make yourself bigger, look bigger than a grizzly bear because that's not going to happen. And you don't try to fight a grizzly bear because they will just simply eat you. The only thing you can do with a grizzly bear evidently is play dead. Well, that's not what a warrior does, though. A grizzly bear is probably not going to turn aside, but... Men, after reading this scripture here, and I know we're packing heat when we're going to Wyoming, but I don't think we're going to need it. Because if we be like Benaiah, then we can get that grizzly bear on the run. It's probably a good thing Ben's preaching for me. Uh, can you schedule a few more months? <laughs> no, we, we, we won't bite off the Benaiah challenge instantly. By the way, do you know in the Old Testament scriptures, do you know what lions eat in the Old Testament? Meat. Meat. Sheep and people. <laughs> Sheep and people. That's the steady diet of a lion in the Old Testament. They, they would catch lions and put them in a pit, like surprisingly a pit, um, and then they would take the Christians at some point 
this is a little later on after the Old Testament, but they, t- they take the Christians, and before that they would take the, the, the people that they wanted entertainment from, and they would throw them in the pit with the lions who had been starved, and then the lions eat them. And the lions eat the sheep that the people live off of. So lions, they're not nice. They're, they're symbolizing a threat to life. It's a serious deal. By the way, I'm not just talking to men here. Oh, I know uh, the men on fire trip is coming up, but I'm not just talking to men. Women can be warriors too. In fact, I hope we don't meet a mama bear in Wyoming. I've heard they're the worst. You know, mamas will fight for their babies. You don't want to get tangled up with a woman who is defending a child or or someone that she feels is unjustly attacked. They are fierce. And they are masters at improvising. Us dudes, uh, we practice with our firearms and uh, with our muscles and our knives. But a woman doesn't have to do that because just whatever they find is a weapon when they need it. And somehow they're very good at it. They may not use a spear, but they'll use whatever is at hand. And uh, words they seem to be very good at. When I need words most, I can't find them in my mind. But I've seen women give you a tongue lashing that will send you limping back home with your tail between your legs. <clears throat> back to Beniah. He gets the lion turned around. Even though the lions, they, they don't turn. Somehow he gets this one turned around and he chases it into a pit. <clears throat> now, at first I thought, Oh, why didn't he quit there? The lion's in the pit. There it is. And, oh, it's a snowy day. Lions are usually in Africa. It's hot in Africa, I think. But evidently, there was lions here where they were at. And and so they probably don't like snow. He's probably going to freeze to death in that pit. Just leave him alone. Go home. Call her good. Let it die in the pit. But that's not what warriors do. That lion down there in that pit, it eats sheep and people. And it probably eats littler people first, and that's not acceptable. It's a serious threat to life, and the warrior's job is to remove the threat. So in he goes. The result? People and sheep are safer. And David makes Benaiah captain of his bodyguard. I think there are three lessons here in this one verse that every Christian must learn. Three lessons that we as believers in Jesus can pull from this. Number one, the Christian must go lion killing. Ephesians chapter 6 says that we are in a battle. 
But we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits. We are in a battle. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter tells us to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I want to emphasize he prowls around like a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion. Because we know that the devil can be turned There are three enemies, three lions that the believer uh, must fight. And the first one is the devil. This lion-like enemy is after us. Oh, sometimes uh, way more than we would like. As a matter of fact, always more than we would like. And listen, it's no use twisting his tail. He must be trampled underfoot and dealt with fearlessly. The only way to contend with the devil, by the way, is through Jesus our Christ. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. Jesus is talking to 72 of the Christians there. When 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority under all the power, over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among the snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Devil, the the lion-like enemy, we can fight him and we can win through the blood of Jesus. Only through Jesus do not go up against the devil on your own. This enemy must be contended with through our Savior Jesus. The second enemy is self. Self. The Bible speaks of a a Christian foes as as this, this world, the flesh, and the devil. But I've reversed the order of this in dealing with the deadliest foe first, the devil, and then self, or we could say the flesh, is always a central foe. It's like kind of the kingpin that all of it swivels on. Uh, St. Augustine used to pray. He would say, Deliver me from my worst enemy, that wicked man, myself. How do we deal with ourselves? Well, Scripture tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is Paul. He says, I I discipline my body. I discipline my flesh. All of us have desires. 
desire. A lot of our desires are not good ones either. It's just part of who we are as people, and we have to deal with these sinful desires. And for heaven's sake, don't feed them. They want to be fed. They want you to feed them. But don't don't feed them, starve them, and then chase them down and destroy them. Battle them. So the enemies are the devil and ourself, and the third one is the world. Man, how much easier is it to go with the world, to follow the crowd, you know, the world's fashions and its materialistic outlook. We have to remind ourselves constantly that our citizenship is in heaven. And so we must set our affection upon things of above, not upon the things of this earth. Switch your mindset, heavenly-minded, not earthly-minded, not attached to this world. What weapon did Benaiah use? He used his staff. The weapon that was at hand. The one that he kept with him. He didn't have time to go home and look for something better to use. John Bunyan says that the Christian's handiest weapon is prayer. He says Satan trembles when he sees even the weakest saint upon his knees. Prayer is the answer to Satan, to self, and the sinful world. The weapon that we use to do battle against them. The Christian must go lion killing. The second point that I get out of this text about Benaiah is that the Christian must fight in difficult places. Fight in difficult places. Sometimes deep, dark places, deep, dark places inside of our souls is often where the battle is fought. Benaiah fought in a pit. It's probably a dried up old whale. Uh, they're trapped together with the lion and a little bit of air and not much light. He engaged in hand-to-hand fighting with a lion. One of them wasn't making it out of that pit. I've heard a, a soldier once boasted that he could defeat the enemy single-handedly, taking them out one at a time if he was given sufficient time, he believed he would have enough strength to defeat an opposing army if he could take them on one at a time. Basically, his attitude was, let's go! You know, one at a time. Listen, the giant evils in our modern society and and in our own personal lives must be defeated contended with contend with them now before they get worse one at a time if you have to because they will get worse you ever get a splinter and it's stuck in air and it's deep and it's hard it hurts it's hard to get out so you you dig at it for a while i had one in my thumb one time as a little bitty it's ridiculous how the most little bitty splinter uh, can hurt so bad and 
and I dug at that thing. And the problem was it's right on my, my hammer caulking thumb. And so uh, I would try to get it out, and, then, and maybe I got it and leave it for like three or four days, and it would heal over. And I'd caulk my revolver, and ah, oh, it hurts. I didn't get it. And I would dig on it again, and, and it, it just couldn't stay there. It was going to be no good. Um, kind of weird to have to caulk your revolver with the other hand. One day, I dug and I dug and I dug, and it hurt and it hurt. And, you know, I probably had to have uh, my wife put a stick in my mouth. And, so, and finally, it came out, little, little bitty guy. And I had to go in deep in a difficult place to get it out. I heard another story. And this one's way worse. Uh, it was about a horse. An old old horse fella told me this. I would go over to his place and he would teach us about, uh, you know, hooking your old mule up to a carriage and training it. And he said he had this really good mule. He liked this mule. It was an older one, but it was, oh, it was a really good mule. The only problem is this mule couldn't walk because he was lame. He had something in his hoof. and And he said that he just couldn't stand to get rid of the mule because it was so good. It minded so well. It was really strong. And he'd had vets over to work on a tooth. Uh, and the vets, several veterinarians would, would dig and try to get that out until, and the, but they couldn't get it. And finally one day he called one back and he said, listen, I will, I will pay you whatever you need to take. Just can you take one more look at it? And so the vet was nervously digging inside the hoof of that mule and and had his forceps all the way like several four inches up in there and it's it's bleeding and it's it's hurting and and the people standing around are getting a little bit woozy until finally the forceps touch something metal he feels rake against something metal way up in there and he gets a hold of it grits his teeth and pulls it out and of course all kinds of uh festering and everything just just comes out all at once and a chunk of metal that had been there for years came out the result the mule healed up and was again his best animal served him for years and could walk and healed up just fine sometimes we have to go into difficult places even painful Places We have to dig down deep to uproot the sin or the hurt or the challenge and get it out of our lives. By jumping down into a pit, Benaiah showed that he meant business. You know, one of the best means or, or forms of defense is attack. Let me repeat that. One of the, the best form of defenses is attack. The lion, he was taken by surprise. Remember James chapter 4, verse 7? It says, We must resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him when he least expects it. Don't chase the evil that 
he's done in your life in a hole and then leave it to maybe freeze in the snow. Man, we do that too much. We get a handle on our sin or uh, on a problem in our life. We get a handle on it and then we leave it thinking, okay, it's, it's not too bad now. We leave it so that it can find its way out of the hole, out of the pit, and then wreak havoc on our lives again. Take it out. Take it out. Discipline the flesh. Fight in difficult places. And finish the job. Speaking of finishing the job, this brings us to our last point for today. Number three, the Christian must never quit. Remember Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? In Benaiah's case, there was no let up for this lion killer. No uh, taking a break. Not sh- I'm not sure how long it took down there in that pit. It could have been from morning till evening without a break, without lunch, without coffee. He carried on the struggle and fought until it was done. Now, for the believer, warfare is continual. Soldiers in Christ's army can expect no leave, no discharge, no 48-hour weekend passes out of camp. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Sometimes, if you are a parent, maybe of a youngster, you think, boy, it would be nice to get a break from being a parent just for a little bit. Now, I don't think you actually mean that. I think you just need need some, some time to uh, gain back your strength and energy. But once we are in our position that God has put us in, That's our responsibility to do what he needs us to do. Don't get sidetracked. We have one whom we must please, and that's the Lord. He is our commander. But don't be giving up. I had this dog when I was a kid. His name was Floyd, and I got him when I was in second grade. He was part chow, part uh, terrier. And uh, he was a really lively dog. And I had that dog uh, through college even. I almost think it was pretty close to when I graduated. He was still around 17 years old. And he wasn't a real small dog. But I cannot count the, the amount of times that that dog almost died. He would uh, get bit by a snake or turn up sick and and it seems like he would lay sick for weeks at a time and we'd take him to the vet because he was my you know a boy's best friend the the dog who went with me everywhere and the vet would send us home he's gonna die there's no hope for him but we would nurse him and take care of him and and you know he would get better uh Every time, except for one, he, he got better. And 
not only would he recover from that sickness, but he would almost be like a puppy again afterwards. Like, I thought he's an old dog now. He's almost died. If we ever get him well again, he's going to lay around and I have to take care of him. But like I said, almost every time he would uh, become well again. And then he would be, you know, as a rat terrier, tearing into possums and varmints and things like that, just as lively as ever, surprised us every time. And I think back and, boy, we could have given up on him. We could have just quit taking care of him or had him put to sleep, but we didn't, and he kept going strong. You know, only in our old, old age, just before we go to our reward, can we say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. And then we can enter heaven with the trumpets sounding over on the other side we shall hear the master say well done good and faithful servant and we pray that he will say you fought bravely under adverse conditions and circumstances you have killed many lions in my name enter into your eternal joy and rest The Christian must go lion killing. He must fight in difficult places and he must never quit. So I ask you, what do you do with the enemy? 1 Peter 5, verse 9. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. In the face of the power and authority of Christ Jesus, Satan becomes not a lion, but a clawless and toothless varmint. A false image with no power over those who belong to Christ. He is already defeated by the true lion. Remember that Satan was only lion-like. Revelation chapter 5 tells us that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the real lion, the true lion who does not turn. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis and uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, then you're familiar with the image of Aslan, the great lion, the one and true king of the country of Narnia. Aslan, he's not a tame lion, but he's an unconquerable ruler. And in the allegory that C.S. Lewis writes, he represents Jesus. There's a, a part of the movie that I'll quote from, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is a lion, The lion? The great lion? Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. 
But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. What do you do with the enemy? You oppose it until it runs. It doesn't matter how snowy it is. You chase it. And then when it falls in a pit, you jump in and you fight the enemy. Because Christ, Jesus, has already won the victory. Because of that, victory can be yours as well. Give your life to the King today. Father God, I pray to you. I pray thanks that, Lord, as hard as the battle might be, you will give us strength to defeat our foes, the strength to defeat the lions in our lives, God. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the example that you've shown us in this this obscure verse about Benaiah going into a pit after a lion, Lord, but I pray that you will continue to remind us the strength that you can give if we would just be your warriors. Lord, I praise you for the gift of eternal life, the gift that was bought for us, paid for us by you on the cross and your resurrection to remind us, Lord, that Someday we'll be with you in heaven, Lord. We look forward to that day and we praise you for making it possible for us to be there with you. In Jesus' name we pray.